I bring you greetings in Christ's name. I've uh, lived in Minnesota most of my years and uh, been to Maranatha a couple times visiting, but I've never been to Prairie Mennonite, and so I, I find it um, a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, like uh, Dwight said, uh, I'm probably not a stranger to some of you here, and I've enjoyed working with some of you in uh, other parts of responsibilities, and so I appreciate that. As I uh, was thinking of um, the new year, and uh, it seems like when we come to a new year, we either reflect, we look back, and think about how the past year went, or we look ahead and we uh, think about maybe changes we want to make or goals we have, or maybe a combination of both. And as I was doing that, I was reflecting on the past year and uh, the words that I thought of that came to, that we have witnessed, um, is I am blessed. Um, I think it's easy to focus on maybe the things that we didn't like, um, but I am blessed. And as I was thinking about that, I uh, I thought of faith, and the title that that I have for this message here this morning is faithful. Um, two different words. Faithful, and uh, to um, those from home, uh, Ernie's, you uh, have to bear with me. I uh, preached this message at home a couple weeks ago. As I was thinking of men full of faith, my mind went to Old Testament men. I thought of I thought of Noah. Noah was a man who God spoke to. He obeyed and uh, took him many days to build the ark, a man full of faith. I thought of Abraham, who in his days, God promised that his seed would be like the stars of heaven, and he had no children, a man full of faith. I thought of Moses, who God called there at the burning bush, and he led the people out um, through the wilderness there 40 years, a man full of faith. I thought of Old Testament women. I thought of Sarah. It says in Hebrews 11:11 11, 11, that Sarah judged him faithful who had promised. And in her older years she bore a child, a woman of faith. I thought of Ruth, how she left her home and followed her mother-in-law to a strange country. And she's part of the lineage of Christ, a woman of faith. I thought of Esther, who was willing to to uh, lay down her life to go to the king for her people, a woman of faith. My main text this morning, I'm going to be reading from Acts 27, but there's a few verses that I want to read earlier in Acts before we get to Acts 27 that I'm just going to refer to. You don't have to turn to them. In Acts 6, verse 5, this is when the early church was ordaining men there in the church. 
In Acts 6, verse 5, it says that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And in verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And then if we go a few more verses further in chapter 7, verse 55, this is when Stephen was being stoned to death there. It says, But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Full of faith. Stephen was a man full of faith. A couple chapters later in Acts 11, verse 24, it's talking here of Barnabas. And it says, Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Barnabas was a man full of faith. Was life easy for these heroes of faith? Did they live comfortable lives? Were the choices they made mainstream? Fatty, and that is a word with two Ds, fatty, or trendy? In Hebrews 11.14, it says that they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And I ask the question, how would your faith stand if you were in Haiti and you were kidnapped by a gang and you witnessed atrocities that cannot be mentioned here? It just happened recently. It's happening quite a bit over there. How would your faith stand in Russia if you were between the crossfire of the Russians and the Ukrainians? How would your faith stand in the Middle East where you might be followed and quietly put away for your faith? My sister is living in the Middle East right now. And uh, after she left, she said she left a letter in her bedroom in case she never returns. How would your face stand? And you might say, well, that's not where God is calling me. And so I ask, where is God calling you? What is God telling you? Can you hear from God? Or have I made life so comfortable that I don't really want to hear from God? Or my physical needs are met. I have everything I need. There's nothing that I desperately need. Now, if you would, I'm going to be reading from Acts 27. I'm going to be reading that whole chapter. I believe there's value in reading God's Word in a church setting. So I'm going to be reading the whole chapter of Acts 27 and the first ten verses of Acts 28. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Adramitium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristocris, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. 
And there the centurion found his ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us. We sailed under Crete over against Salmoni, and hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenus and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, losing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Ecrulidian. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which, when we had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, straight sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. And when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were all in, we were in all in the ship two hundred threescore and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. 
And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Chapter 28, And when they were escaped, they knew not the island was called, they knew that the island was called Melita, and that barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief men of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors, and when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. If you can think about Paul, this was at his latter years. Think about Paul as the, the great missionary, um, the mighty man of faith who suffered much for the sake of the gospel. And in his, in quote, retirement years, he became a prisoner, endured sufferings. What a sad ending to a man who worked faithfully for the Lord. But note that he did not lose faith. Paul did not lose faith. And even in adverse circumstances, he heard from God. In verses 10 and 11 there, it says that Paul spoke out. Why? Why didn't Paul just stay quiet? Paul could have said, I heard from God that this voyage is not going to be very good, but I'm just going to wait and see what happens. I'm just going to hunker down in the ship, and I'm just going to be quiet and just see what God does. Paul could have done that. But here it says Paul spoke out. And another question I ask is, what did Paul have to lose by saying something? His money? Um, I don't think Paul had a lot of money at this point. Um, his possessions, he probably didn't have more than was on his back. Uh, his reputation, I don't think that Paul really cared too much about his reputation. What did Paul have to lose by speaking out? And I believe every believer must come to this point in order to exercise true faith. I have nothing to lose, total dependence on God. In verse 20, it says that all hope 
that we should be saved was then taken away. Have you ever been there? Maybe there was a few things that you were holding on to and and a couple of those were taken away. And yet there was one thing that you held on to and that was taken away. All hope was taken away. This is where faith happens. Where I am empty, helpless, stripped of anything to grab a hold of. I turn my eyes to God and I say, only you can do this. And in verse 21 it says, but Paul, actually there's a few words between there, it says, um, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth. And I thought it's interesting that this word abstinence um, is, is the only time in the New Testament that it uses the word abstinence. And it means the state of fasting. Now, in verse 20, it says that there was many days that the sun or the, the stars didn't shine. And in verse 33, it says that Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, it's the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting. So this word abstinence is uh, means the state of fasting. I don't think Paul skipped one meal. I don't think Paul skipped one day. I think Paul was in the state of fasting. I don't know how many days, but I would say at least 14, if not more. Where Paul spent alone fasting and in prayer, seeking his God. When we have made life as easy and comfortable as we can, we tend to lose faith in God. Somehow, when life is hard, and we are facing something that seems impossible, I turn to God. And I'm not necessarily talking about believers. This is this happens even in the unbelieving world. I've seen this in... A, I, I used to work in the healthcare field some, and I, I seen this, and it drew me, kept drawing me back to the healthcare field, was that when health is stripped away from a person, they turn to God. It seems like health is one of the things that we hold on to, and when my health is fragile, I, I don't know where to go, but I turn to God. And I have witnessed many unreligious men giving me permission to pray for them when they were sick. And as believers, in our desperation for wanting God more and wanting Him to increase my faith, I pour my energy into making my life as comfortable as I can. It seems warped. It seems hypocritical. I want God, and yet I pour my energy into making my life as comfortable as I can. Paul says in verse 23 there that an angel stood by him. And I just, I wonder what Paul felt like there. If you can imagine probably the, the boat tossing up and down in the water thinking that 
we're all going to die. This ship is tearing apart. And an angel of God comes by him. What a comfort. Paul, a man full of faith. But also note that it didn't change Paul's destiny. He was still going to Caesar. It didn't change Paul's destiny. But Paul's faith started rippling out to those that he was around. Remember, they didn't listen to him at the beginning. God may not change my circumstances, but how many unbelievers will turn to God because of my faith? Paul said, I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me, a man full of faith. I believe God. This confidence will move mountains. In verse 31, Paul spoke out again. They were, there's a few uh, men here trying to escape under color. And Paul said, if these do not stay here, none of you are going to be saved. Paul spoke out and they listened. What changed from the beginning? From the start, it said that the centurion would have rather listened to the owner and the master of the ship than to Paul. And now the centurion is saying, cut the rope. They have to stay. He listened to Paul. What changed? Did they see Paul's faith? Paul said in verse 34 there that there's not a hair going to fall from the head of any of you. The ship is breaking apart. And he said, there's not a hair that's going to fall from any one of you. And then in verse 35, it seems like they had a little communion service here. It says that uh, he took bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. seems to me like they had a little communion service there. But I think it's noteworthy that it says, in the presence of them all. There was 276 souls on this ship. It wasn't 12, it wasn't 20, it wasn't 50. 276 souls, and Paul gave thanks in the presence of them all. I don't know if they all stood in a, one big circle around the ship, or but, but I, what changed from the beginning of the voyage? It seems like now Paul is the captain of the ship when he went on as a convict, as a prisoner. Do you think that when Paul got on the ship here, do you think that it crossed Paul's mind that maybe Paul thought, this voyage is God's will for my life. I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy the ride. Even though um, it probably wasn't real fun there on the ship. I'm not sure how if he could really enjoy it. But... Sometimes I think we think that in life, that this is just what God has for me, and so I'm just going to sit back in my little corner, and I'm just going to watch what happens. But Paul prayed, fasted, and listened to God's voice. He took the opportunity that he was in to strengthen his faith. And when the ship broke apart, in verse 42, the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners. And then in verse 43, it says, But the centurion. 
Remember, this was the centurion that would have rather listened to the owner and the master of the ship than to Paul. And now it says, but the centurion. Did he believe? I wonder. But the centurion. And then they listened. The soldiers listened to the centurion. And it says they escaped all safe to land. In chapter 28, Paul was putting wood on the fire and a viper came out, fastened on his hand. And the people said, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And I think sometimes we have the mentality that I conquer this mountain and rejoice about that only to find that the next mountain is greater to put me down. And that's what these people were saying to Paul was, you know, he escaped the sea, but still his his evil things are coming after him and are going to take him, going to kill him. Opportunity to exercise faith. It doesn't even say in this story about the viper here that Paul preached a message of repentance to these people. I'm assuming Paul wasn't quiet, but it doesn't say that Paul said anything here to the people. And sometimes my faith speaks louder by not saying anything, just doing. Notice that when this happened, Paul was gathering firewood. Paul, the great missionary, was gathering firewood. And the people, when they looked a great while, says they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Paul, a man full of faith. No matter where Paul went, people, his faith rippled out. His life and his words spoke of faith. And in verse 8, it says that there was a sick man there on the island, and Paul took the opportunity to heal that man. And it says more people came that were on the island and people were healed. Paul prayed and people were healed. No matter what situation I am in, there's an opportunity to exercise faith. Oh, let, oh, never let me think I am on break. No matter what situation I am in, there's an opportunity to exercise faith. Oh, never let me think I am on break. A couple weeks ago, there was an email that came out from Cam to pray for some hostages that were taken there in Haiti through Love a Child Ministries. You probably received that also. And I was working, and I, I seen the email. I glanced at it briefly, and then I, I prayed. I just said, God, I don't know who these people are, and I don't know what situation they're in. I just pray for them. And... That same day, they were released. And I i don't know if my prayer did a whole lot. But I think when we pray, things happen. Not only individually, but as we express our needs, other people can pray and their faith can be increased. Does prayer work? Absolutely. Does corporate prayer work? Absolutely. But then we have the question, why doesn't God answer my prayer? 
I'd like to read a few verses from Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And so I ask the question, am I persistent in my prayers? Is my faith strong? Do I believe God will answer? In 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 7-10 through 10 there, Paul says that there was a thorn in his flesh. And he says that it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And I think that's interesting because sometimes... Our thorns in the flesh are from Satan. Paul says this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. And it says here that Paul besought God three times that this thorn would be removed. Did Paul, maybe like Daniel in the Old Testament, did he pray three times that day that God would remove that thorn or was it three different occasions of prayer and fasting? I don't know. doesn't say. But either way, Paul heard from God. Paul got an answer from God. And that answer was, my grace is sufficient. And so, the, the verse 8 there of chapter 18 asks the question, when the Lord returns, will he find faith here? In U.S., in Blooming Prairie, Minnesota. Will God find faith when He returns? I believe it is easier for me to quit praying and seeking God's face about something than to persistently pray for years or by much prayer and fasting. Will God find faith? Will you be persistent? I wanted to, I, I read the, the chapter there in 1 Kings 17 of Elijah, how he was fleeing from Ahab, another man of faith. He healed the widow's son there that died. And the last verse of 1 Kings 17 says, The widow said, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God. What do people say about you? I'll read a few verses in Matthew 21. Back at home, we are going through Matthew in our Sunday school lessons. And uh, recently we read Matthew 21 and verses 21 and 22. 
It says there, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. And I want to turn to Mark, has the same account, but Mark adds a little more to that story that I want to talk about. Mark 11, verses 22 to 26. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you for your trespasses. But if you have, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. I believe there's a connection between faith and forgiveness. There's a connection between my prayers being heard and bitterness in my own heart. If I am harboring unforgiveness within my heart against someone else, myself, or God, my prayers may not be answered because they are not reaching God. There's a connection between faith and forgiveness. In order for my prayers to connect to God, I must forgive. I must forgive. And now sometimes, maybe in our prayers, I'm not willing to ask God for the big things. Things that I think are impossible, that are not reality. Like moving a mountain. I justify myself by saying, well, it's, it's not possible. It's, so I'm not going to pray about it. It's not reality. And I ask the question, is faith seen? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. James 4, verse 3 says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And so by saying that, I'm not saying I should be un- uh, asked for things that are selfish. But I must ask for things that build the kingdom of God and bring glory to Him. And sometimes in my prayers, I'm not willing to ask God for the small things. Sometimes when we go to bed at night, my boys say that their legs hurt and they want me to pray for their legs. Do you pray for your legs when they hurt? Do you pray when you aren't sure you'll have enough of food for the visitors? Do you pray when your baby keeps you awake during the night? Do you pray when your day is not going well at work? Do you pray when you're working on a piece of equipment or vehicle and can't figure it out? I've done that. Do you pray when you lose a little spring inside a carburetor and it flies across the shop floor and you can't find it? I have. God cares about the little things in my life. 
Do I have enough of faith to always communicate those things to him? But it's easier to grab the checkbook and write out another check, or go to eBay and buy another one, or go to the doctor and do what he says, than to seek the face of God, than to have faith in God. I challenge you to exercise spiritual authority. Tell the mountain to go. And my first thoughts are, well, that's scary. It's not reality. But now I'm doubting. If God hasn't answered your prayer yet, don't quit. He may say, my grace is sufficient. But don't quit praying till you hear from him. Faith and forgiveness go together. Is there bitterness within my heart? When I pray, forgive. When the Lord returns, will he find faith in my house? The next statement is only a few words. A life of ease suffocates faith. Use the opportunities you are in to grow your faith. When you're faced with something difficult, your first thought should be, let's pray about it. Step out of your comfort zone and step out in faith. If I'm not living out of my comfort zone, my faith is decreasing. If I'm not living out of my comfort zone, my faith is decreasing. When I don't know which way to turn, God turns. May the words, a man full of faith and a woman full of faith be included in your story that is being written. Be faithful.